0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It is so good to be with you. If you would open your Bibles to Ephesians, we are continuing in our study that began last week in the book of Ephesians. And so, as you turn there or open up a, an app to those things, we will be looking today at verse 3. Um, just a warning um, lost my voice completely on Thursday and Friday. And so I called Travis to see if he might be able to fill in, and five of the eight people in his home had a stomach bug, and so that was not an option. So we just prayed really hard um, that I would get a little bit of a voice, and so here I am, and I'm not coughing on you right now, and I'm thankful. If I do, forgive me. I'm on cough medicine, so I (laughs) don't know what that means, but it's supposed to be for day and night, so we'll see. Um, But I just wanted to... To warn you, uh, this rasp is not for effect. So, we are in verse 3 of uh, the book of Ephesians. And we hope to see a lot of Jesus today. I want to read verses 1, 2, and 3 and then pray. The scriptures, the word of the living God say this. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's pray. (coughs) Take Your Word, I ask, O God. Drive it deep down into our hearts. Would You plow up the hard soil and soften the hard heart? Would You encourage the faint-hearted? Would You uphold the weak Would you show us your love and your patience? And would you give us your love that we might be patient with one another? Father, I ask that your word would be on our mouths and it would be in our hearts. And I pray, Father, have mercy on us today by giving us eyes and that see your all-satisfying beauty and love and sufficiency. Please, God, help us to see you today. We ask for that because if we see you, that is enough. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think of a trip that maybe you have taken that you just loved a trip that you took that you just loved. I spent some time thinking about a trip that my family and I took to the beach. And as I think about a trip to the beach, there are things that I just love. I love that there was sand that would come up in between my toes and that we were able to build sand castles and that there would be wind that would blow on my face and that there would be sun rays that shine down and that I could stand and I could get close to the water to where it would come over my feet but then I could look out and there would be no end in sight. I love that. I love the smells of the area and the food that you get to taste. I love to just look out and to be humbled and made small by seeing the ocean and also be really at peace I love that I love being drawn into things that it's just when you're when you're there there's this there's a sense that you are small and God is big and I just love it I just love it but I don't know about you but today I woke up And I was not at the beach, and it was not 70 or 80 degrees. I'm driving a car right now that's not my own, and it didn't have a windshield scraper in it. So at 7 or so this morning, I go out and see there's frost on my windshield, and I have to go scrounge to find something to get that off of there. I'm not at the beach right now. You came in, and it was a little cold, and you're sitting in here, And it's just like, man, there's a contrast. Paul was addressing a people where there was a contrast. Paul, the apostle, verse 1, is the one who is writing this letter to a people who are experiencing a massive contrast. A people who are in a city that was saturated with magic and the occult, that would worship regularly the goddess Artemis, the goddess that they thought was the goddess of fertility. They worshipped the body. They worshipped all kinds of things. And those things were being filtered into their worldview. And they were being hit by that over and over. And yet they were followers of Jesus. And their worldview was so different than the worldview of everybody around them. And it was disorienting. And Paul says this. Who does he say it to? It says in the end of verse 1, to the saints. Those who've been changed by Jesus, who have been set apart, not because of their goodness, but because of the goodness of another that they trust in. They're set apart ones or saints, no longer categorized as sinners, but as those loved by God, they're saints. And he tells those saints to engage their mind, their imagination, to think about a God Who is different than the things they see around them. It would be like us this morning. Waking up to 40 some odd degrees. And trying to think on the 70 to 80 degree weather. It takes some imagination doesn't it? It takes some hard work. Sometimes when you use the word imagination. You think of things that are not real. That's not the kind of engaging the imagination. Paul is calling us to. Nor am I calling us to this morning. If you think about the beach. It's a real thing. There's real sand. There's real water. There's real wind that blows. There's real sun that shines down. But yet I'm not experiencing all of that right now. And I'm called to set my mind upon that reality. Here. There's a real God. The God of the universe. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says. From prison might I add. I know your circumstances and your world is filled with all kinds of chaos and all kinds of worship of other things. But why don't you stop and set your mind upon the God of the universe and bless his name? Bless his name. That's where Paul draws them to. To the grace and peace that can be found Only in the Lord Jesus Christ. It takes some imagination. It takes some mind work. That's why a book I've been reading called Union with Christ, a man named Rankin Wilborn says this, you must use your imagination if you want to fully inhabit and experience the Christian life. It's something where you have to take your mind and you've got to set it there. Now, in case you think that this is just setting your mind on fairy tale, you have to understand, this is all over the Scriptures. When Moses is telling the people that from generation to generation, they need to pass on this story. Here's what he says, Exodus 13, 8. He says, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. That's the story I want you to tell from generation to generation. Let's make sure you get it. These people would have not experienced what Moses experienced. And yet, it's what their children and what their children's children and what their children's children were supposed to talk about. They were supposed to put themselves in the Exodus story. Put themselves right in the deliverance of God with Moses that they might be encouraged and they might bless the God of the universe from generation to generation. It takes some imagination, but it's setting your mind on something Real. And firm. That's why throughout the New Testament. Paul says set your mind on things above. It takes some hard work to set your mind upon the living God. Who you cannot see and who you cannot touch. But you can still taste and see that he is good. There is an experience. There is a spiritual taste bud. There are spiritual eyes and spiritual ears that when God comes into the heart, these things are awakened. Your heart is exploded with desire that wasn't there. And he gives you the ability to understand and comprehend. He gives you the longing to look deeply. Deeply. At Jesus. That's why the author of Hebrews says, fix your eyes upon Jesus. What's that mean? He's not asking you to go back in some picture book and look at a renaissance picture of Jesus. He's asking you to, with spiritual eyes, gaze at Christ. To look at him in the word and to allow the picture of how God has revealed himself to you to flood the mind and the heart and the soul. And that's why we take the Lord's Supper almost every week. Because when Paul laid it before the church, when Jesus lays it before the church, he says, do this in what of me? Remembrance. We are a forgetful people. And sin is always attached to forgetting. That's why the people of Israel in the book of Hosea, it says, and they forgot me and ran after other lovers. They forgot the living God. That's why Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, it's why he says, you have forgotten that you have been cleansed of former sins. When you forget the love of God for you, you go after other things. And so Paul is inviting us Just as we will take the Lord's Supper after this sermon to remember Jesus. And as we set our minds upon him, what comes out of the heart is blessing. We praise him. We praise him. And so, (coughs) what we have in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He is calling us to set our minds upon things that we cannot see and touch, but that are real and life-changing. Now, who is He asking to do this? He is asking those who are saints, those who are in Christ, Can you say that with me? In Christ. The reason I say that is because in this one paragraph, the words in Christ or in him or in the beloved or in whom are used 11 times from verses 3 to 11. Paul is passionate that we would think about what it means to be in Christ. They use the term Christian Rarely. They use the term in Christ ones regularly. Who are you? You're one who's in Christ. You're in him. Now what does that mean? First of all, to be in Christ, it means the greatest miracle in all the universe is that sinners Are no longer separated from Jesus. But you have been reconciled. Brought together at peace with one another. And he is in you. The greatest thing about being in Christ. Is that you get Christ. That you get Jesus. The greatest treasure in the universe. Is not the blessings that come from Jesus. But Jesus himself. And before we can ever understand the beauty of the spiritual blessings in verse 3, you've got to be enthralled with the blessor of verse 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're in Him. And that's enough. Every longing you've had this week is satisfied fully in Him. And when we seek to get it satisfied in someone or something else, we will be let down. We have traded our God for other things. The greatest treasure of the gospel is God himself. Not your forgiveness. Not that you get to go to glory. Not that you got peace in your heart. The greatest gift is God And so, when you are in Christ, it means you're with Him. You're in Him. Now, something else in Christ means is that you have a representative, one who has won the victory for you. Now, I watched some basketball last night. Tennessee basketball. Now, I'm a Tennessee fan. I grew up in Tennessee. In Tennessee, sports are a religion. I'm not commending it. I'm just stating a fact. And so I have been to UT's football stadium, 100,000 plus in this stadium. And you hear them, many of them, yelling and screaming for their team. My team, yelling and screaming. Only to be for years sadly disappointed at their performance. But that's a different story. But this year, in unprecedented fashion, University of Tennessee basketball team is number one in the nation. Yeah, see, look at that. Already, praise is coming out, okay? There's some shout-worthiness happening right now. Now, for now, that's right. (laughs) Always seems to fall in the end, but we won't go there. So, why is it last night when Tennessee won and If you were to ask me about it, I would say, we won the game. Note, I had nothing to do with that victory. Not a thing. I didn't play. I wasn't there. I didn't speak to the players. I had nothing to do, but that's my victory. We won. Next week's the Super Bowl. We've got a lot of Patriots fans in our church. And then we have a lot of people who aren't Patriots fans. (laughs) I think they're called Rams fans at that point, but that's about it. You don't really have real Rams fans. You have those who don't like the Patriots, and then you have Patriots fans. So whoever wins, there's going to be this sense of my team won, and you didn't have squat to do with that. Not a thing. Why do we talk that way? It's because it's been driven into our DNA that When we are identified with something, someone goes before us as a representative, we get their victory. In this book by Rankin Wilborn, In Union with Christ, he uses that example with David and Goliath. When David and Goliath go to fight, the Israelites did not fight the Philistines. David, the representative of the Israelites, fought Goliath, the representative of the Philistines. And whoever won between the one on one battle, all the spoils of the victory went to the entire winning side, even though it was a one on one victory. So Rankin Wilborn says this. Tell me if this story sounds familiar. So young David represented all of Israel. The young shepherd boy from Bethlehem, who would be king, fought as champion on behalf of all the people. He was their representative, and David's victory was credited. It was imputed to those he represented. All of Israel, we could say, was in David, even though they themselves were not active participants in the battle. So we are in Christ. That's why the Bible Make literally, Paul had to make up words for this new reality that we have been crucified with Christ and we are buried with Christ and we are raised to new life with Christ. He makes up new words because it's a totally new reality that a representative went before us and won the victory, and that victory is ours. His death is our death, his burial is our burial, his life is our life, his resurrection, our resurrection. We're in Christ. Not because we won the battle, but because he did and we attach ourselves to faith. We attach ourselves to him by faith. This is what Paul is laboring for us to see. Eleven times in these verses, he wants us to understand our rightful identity as one who has gone before us to do what we could not do. And all the victory of that one is all of our victory today. That's the only way you will understand the latter part of this verse that you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Not because you want it, but because He did. And He is our representative. His victory is ours. Our identity is in Him and therefore it consumes us. All of our life is His. But if you're like me, Sometimes it's really hard to get my mind around this new identity, this new title in Christ. It seems abstract. So I just want to rewind when you're in Christ. It means. That you have a God. Who loves you. And it means that he has gone before you as the representative of. And His victory is your victory. But there's one more word that I want to help you with as you understand in Christ. It's the word presence. For by faith alone, the phrase in Christ means that God Himself is with you and He will never leave you. You have His presence. So not only is it meant to Drop our jaw that his work becomes credited to our account. But it's more than just about what he does, it's who he is, and that who he is is with us. There was a song that I used to sing growing up, going to church Draw me nearer, blessed Lord. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where you have died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to your precious bleeding side. What does that language mean? Nearer. Because when you're in Christ, Christ is always with you. It's not as if Jesus is way over on that side of the stage, and by the end of the service, I hope I get just a little nearer to Jesus. Spatially. No. This isn't about spatial. It's about experience. It's about grabbing the depths of experience that the living God is with you and in you. And that the more you know him, the deeper and richer and fuller your experience of his love will be. You're in Christ. Let me just just look at the verse 3 with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Now, the next two words in my translation are in Christ. In the original language, the in Christ is at the end. So it would read, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, it's perfectly legit to put it up forward because many times when it's left at the end, it's put in for emphasis. And so you front end it for emphasis. But if you read it, you could read it like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and he's with you. And he's with you, giving you every spiritual blessing you need. He's with you. It's meant to comfort and encourage because that's what you and I forget. We forget when the trial comes that he's with us. We're tempted to believe all the noise around us that He's forgotten us. That He's no longer good. That He's messed up somehow. Or that His power is somehow diminished. No way, no how. Every time you read in Christ, the fullness of God is fully for you and He is with you. He's present. And so that is why Paul ends his prayer or in his prayer in Ephesians 3:19 he says and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God it's not that you don't have the fullness of God in you now it is a deeper experience when he says later on in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 that you might be filled with the holy spirit it's not that you don't have the holy spirit it's that you might experience him deeper Deeper intimacy. So the question before us is how in the world do I taste the love of God? How do I deepen that intimacy with Him? Or how do we walk deeper into the fullness of Christ? Three quick ways is how he points us to it. We walk deeper into the fullness of Christ by blessing the Lord, by receiving the gift of, Of every spiritual blessing and by living in light of our real home. The point here is you are in Christ. And he wants you to experience the fullness that is already yours by faith alone. How do we do that? We bless the Lord. See where he begins? Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. To bless is to praise It's to shout hallelujah, praise the Lord. It's to acknowledge what he has done. What does it mean for us to bless? You don't need to be taught this. When you watch a good movie, what do you do? You talk about it. When you eat good food, what do you do? You talk about it. When you watch a good game, what do you do? You talk about it. When you have a really good conversation, what do you do? You talk about it. You don't have to be taught this. It comes out. It's what you do. You talk about what you love and what you're excited about. And here Paul is just saying, I know you are distracted by all kinds of different worldviews. But where we begin, where we begin is by setting your mind upon a God that you can't touch. And you can't see, but is more real than anything you can touch or see. The God of the universe who's changed you from the inside out. We will never be happier than when our mouths are filled with praise for the goodness of our God. We talk about him. And yet I know what it's like. I know what it's like. I had to meditate on this verse this week and ask, how does it matter? Because many of us, our car is idle and neutral And they flip back to reverse. Reverse meaning I am really aware of all the struggle around me. It doesn't take a lot of coaching for your mind to go to the negative, does it? It doesn't take a lot of coaching for obsession to come in the heart for things other than God. It doesn't take a lot of coaching For criticism to boil up in the mouth and in the mind and in the heart. It just doesn't take a lot of coaching. We we just go there. It's like a gravitational pull that pulls us down. That's why Paul has to start the letter with, you need a reorientation. You have smoldering embers of praise that are underneath the ashes. And you need some gas dumped on that so that there's an explosion in the heart for the goodness of God. Where does that come from? As I was meditating on this, Psalm 121 came to my mind. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I got four kids, all four playing basketball right now. Which means almost every night of the week is filled up with basketball. It's just a season for us, but it is an intense one. And when we sit in on all these basketball games, here's what I can almost guarantee to see every game that I that we watch. It is when someone makes a mistake. Here's what happens: the head does this. What's that mean? I'm excited about the day. No, it means I blew it again. I didn't make a shot. You, I live in failure or shame. And that's why Psalm 3 says God is the lifter of our head. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 121 is pushing us to do this. To lift our eyes to the hills. Do you hear what he's doing? He is asking you to engage your imagination. To lift up your head. To look at the mountains. That the mountains might point you beyond themselves to the maker of heaven and earth. And that you would set your mind upon him. Because that psalm says, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. The Lord who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Our God is not asleep on the job. He is always awake. Always fully for us. And you just need your head lifted up out of the circumstances, out of your failure, out of your shame to look up and to see God. And when you see him and you know he'll keep you and you know he loves you and he is your security, praise comes out the mouth. That's why what was read for you up here, Psalm 40. There's a new reality that happens when you humbly say, you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus is the Savior. When you are changed, something happens. Psalm 40 verse 3, it says, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, and many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's what happens. That doesn't mean that your every day is filled with a new song, right? You feel that. That's why Paul is having to encourage them, exhort them, bless God, because it's not natural. And so, how in the world do we shift, do we shift to a mouth that blesses and praises God? Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, The practical man is not the one who runs to the blessing, but the one who considers the source of the blessing here's what subtly happens. We start losing praise for God because we start focusing in on the blessing more than the blessor. And we start wanting his peace and we start wanting all of the blessings and we begin to trade those in for him. He is enough. He will provide you. It is a promise. Take it to the bank. He'll provide you peace and comfort and forgiveness and love and joy. He's going to give that to you. But don't let those pull you away from the fact that God is great and he loves you. And so this week, this week I just had to stop because I too, Can have my mind run to all kinds of things. My mind at times goes into reverse. And it sets itself upon negative things. And I just had to stop and pray. I had to say this verse has to matter in the everyday. What does it mean to bless God? And I just started writing down ways that I praise Him. And I said, God, I praise you. I praise you for your faithfulness. I praise you for your patience. I praise you for changing me. I praise you for being trustworthy. I praise you for always working on me and in me. I praise you for being with me. I praise you for answering my prayers. I praise you for putting my wife in my life. I praise you for redirecting me from Knoxville, Tennessee and the team to plant a church here in Raleigh, North Carolina, 13 plus years ago. I praise you. I praise you that we got to rent a facility for eight grueling years and set up and tear down. And then I praise you that you gave us a space. I praise you, God, that we have a place to worship week in and week out. I praise you, God, that you have brought people here as a family to worship his, your name together. I praise you. I praise you for the ability to sing. I praise you that there are multiple instruments that get to play and I get to listen. I praise you that there's a diversity of joys and not everybody is the same. I praise you. For the ordinary. I praise you that I get to eat. And that wind blows. And grass grows. And the sun comes up and sets. I praise you. I praise you that I can learn and grow. I praise you for routines. But I also praise you for the extraordinary. Extraordinary. I praise you that you have put a new song in my heart. I praise you that you have saved the people and made them a church called Treasuring Christ Church. I praise you that your name is being shouted to the ends of the earth and that the nations will bow down and worship you. I praise you. I praise him. Friends, that's not natural. It's supernatural. It's not a show. It's a reality. I praise him. This is not for a sermon. This is a reality. I praise him. And I love him. And I love his word. And I love his people. I praise him. And he encourages us in these moments. Bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know it's not natural, Paul says. But it is supernatural. And I have given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places to cause you to do that. Bless Him. Oh, dear friends, you will never exhaust what there is to bless God's name for. I promise you that. Your mind might give out, but there's always more to bless Him for. Always. And so, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing We are recipients of this blessed God giving us every spiritual blessing. Hear me. Do not leave this sermon thinking I've got to do more. Self-improvement. No. These things have been given to you. You're just a recipient. Just take it in. Just take it in. This is yours. done for you because you couldn't do for yourself and neither could I. You receive every spiritual blessing. How do you experience the depth of his love? You receive every spiritual blessing. Let's pick apart those words. First of all, spiritual. Spiritual means the blessings are from the Spirit of God, they are a gift from the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit is the source. And so, therefore, the blessings are spiritual. These blessings are God giving to us what we cannot give to ourselves, but what we long for, and therefore it's called a blessing. Something that would lead our mouths to praise. That's why that's called a blessing too. Two different types of blessing. You bless and praise, you bless and receive. He blesses us with himself. But it says... Every spiritual blessing, every or all, every means every kind of blessing from the Spirit, you get them all. It's not that you just get a, a section of God, you get the fullness of God in all his panoramic beauty, you get him all. Every kind of blessing in the fullness of God is yours. All spiritual blessings are yours. Every one of us in Christ have all spiritual blessings. You don't just get a part of them. You get them all. You get the whole thing. You get all of God. What is it though? When he says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, what is it? It's what follows in verses 4 all the way to verse 11. Those spiritual blessings are the fact that God would save sinners. Now I want you to picture a doorway. A doorway with a door. Now a door works because it's on hinges, right? If it doesn't have hinges, it's known as a wall. And you just smack into it. So the hinges are the love of God. Where do I get this? Look at the end of verse 4. The end of verse 4 says that we would be holy and blameless before him in love and then he goes on he predestined us for adoption through christ jesus that in love phrase actually goes both with verse four and with verse five we'll talk about that next week the love of god are the hinges to the door and as the door swings towards eternity past The spiritual blessings of eternity past is that God saved you when you could not save yourself. He has saved you from eternity past. And love swings that door backwards in the fact that God set his affections up on you by sheer mercy alone. And that's how you have been saved. Is because he has set his love upon you. That's part of the spiritual blessings. But then the door swings forward and says that that is meant to lead us to enjoy our adoption as children. We're in the family. And then he goes on to talk about how we've been forgiven. We've been justified. We've been redeemed and made new. We're children, and we will be changed day by day more into his image until we see him face to face. All of that are the spiritual blessings of God, it's our salvation. He has given you everything you need to not only begin the journey, but to get you to the end of the journey. And that's what should lead your mouth to praise. Is that no matter what crumbles on this earth, our God's purposes of salvation will be completed and they will not be thwarted. And so it's meant to lead our mouths to blessing him. And you hear very similar language in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. Listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you heard that before? Okay. If you haven't, that's the verse I've been reading like a lot of times. (laughs) Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Comes out of Paul's mouth. Comes out of Peter's mouth. This is how it works. Peter and Paul are saying the same thing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does Peter say should lead our mouths to blessing? He says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our God has got you. And he has caused you to be born again. He has awakened your heart and he will get you to the end to an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading eternity with him. That is what he has done. Bless him. Yes, thank you. It is meant to excite the heart, but here's what happens. Look at verse six of this very same passage. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved with various trials. In this you rejoice. What's the this? It's the salvation of God. But right now, you're grieved with various trials. So how in the world do we bless him in the midst of various trials? The answer is, we rejoice that what he has begun, he will complete. And he is my Savior and my Lord. And he will never leave me because I'm in Christ. Do you get it? It's not the relief of the circumstance. It is the goodness of our God through it. So therefore, we bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same argument of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's all ours. It's all ours. So how do you experience the fullness, the the in Christness, the, the fullness of God's love for you? You fight to do the hard work of praising. And you rehearse and rehearse the goodness of His salvation in your life and the fact that He'll get you to the end. And you think on it and you live in light of your real home. You live in light of your real home. This earth will fade away. No matter the best relationship on the planet, you will be let down and there will be miscommunication and there will be pain. It is meant to make us long. For another home Why do I bring that in right now Because you tell me Where are the spiritual blessings He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing Where In the heavenly places Now get this This word heavenly places It's used 19 times In the New Testament Five times in this book It is different than the word heaven 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 Take Genesis one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth is everything that you got your feet on, and everything from the earth up is the heavens. So this is the heavens. It's the air. It's what the birds fly in. It's what the clouds are in. It's what the planets are hung in, and it's where our God reigns. It's in the heavens. Now, the heavenlies cause you to look not ground up from top down. The heavenlies are the throne room of God. But also we see in Ephesians chapter 6. It's also where there is a spiritual battle going on. Because what we know from the scripture is that God and Satan are talking. Job chapter 1. You have the devil pleading that he could tempt Job and try to crush his faith. God in his sovereign power says This far and no further, but he allows it. And he keeps Job's faith through the trial. All of that happens in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realm. And so, where are all of our spiritual blessings? They're there, they are there to be experienced in their fullness. And yet, what does it say? Does it say he will bless us with those? Okay, you're asleep. Has blessed. Thank you very much. The word is not will bless us. One day in the future, he has blessed us right now with something that's stored up there. Which means we'll taste it in the here and now. We'll taste it in the here and now. So the struggles in the heavenlies are also played out on this earth. And while living on the earth, we have been given. We are fueled up with every spiritual blessing necessary for our spiritual health and food right now. Although we will not experience their fullness until we're with him face to face. Do you understand this? Here's the way Peter says it. 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, his divine power has given us everything, say that word, everything Everything we need for life and godliness. That word life is life now and life to come. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That's what he means in Ephesians 1, 3. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You will not encounter anything that you cannot handle with God. Because he's blessed you. He's blessed you with himself and every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What tempts us to doubt that? What's ironic is the very thing that tempts us to doubt that is the very thing that causes us to more deeply experience him. Affliction, suffering. John Owen, famous theologian and preacher, he said this about his own preaching. He says this, I myself preached Christ some years when I had but very little, if any, experimental acquaintance with access to God through Christ until, until the Lord was pleased to visit me with sore affliction. Now, let's just let that sit in. It doesn't mean that when he was preaching, he never felt the power of God. He's saying that God gave him a gift. And many of us would struggle to even come close to saying this. But the gift was the pain. Because the pain showed us how little we have the strength to do in our own. And showed us the goodness of God in ways that we never imagined. It's like a toolbox. If you ever try to fix things up around the house, you usually can use a hammer and a screwdriver fairly regularly, but you're not always using a jigsaw, right? That's not very common, but I don't know if you've ever used one, but they're a lot of fun. You can do a lot of damage with a jigsaw. I have a lot of fun with those kind of things, but you don't use them for every project in the house. When do you use them? When the project calls for it, right? So here's the way the spiritual blessings work. We have every spiritual blessing in our toolbox. And we regularly go to just a few. But when the pain comes, we're caused to reach for depths and for things that we've never used before. We've been forced to cry out in ways we haven't cried out before. We've been pressed to think in ways we haven't thought before. Also, that we would get more of our God, not in substance, but in experience. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed you and me with everything we need, every spiritual blessing. And although it's in the heavenly places, and one day we will live in it in its fullness, it has been given now. And because you are in Christ, remember, He won the victory and went before us. So we get all the spoils. And we get the greatest thing in the universe. That's God Himself with us. His presence will never leave. So friends, bless God. Let's pray. Father, I just ask. I ask, oh God, God, that our mouths would be filled with praise because we are convinced of the firm reality of your goodness. You are precious, and you are good, and you are faithful, and you are for us and not against us. And all the promises that you have said are ours, are ours in Christ Jesus Not one of your words has fallen short. Father, we need you in this moment to convince our weak faith of these things today. And Father, we pray. We pray that as we take of this Lord's Supper, it would truly serve its purpose. That us weak and forgetful people would remember would remember your faithful love for us. Oh God, please protect our hearts from going into the neutral and reverse postures of criticism and negativity and being overwhelmed and obsessed with the trial. And God, please fill us up by your Holy Spirit That what comes out is a movement forward of blessing and praise, of encouragement of our brothers and sisters, and of a people unified on mission to make much of your name. Father, please reverse us, change us on the spot, convince us of your great mercy and love for us today.